Released on Sunday, June 1st, 2014. This Agile Life, episode 51. I do run from chickens. Our exclusive sponsor tonight is CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous deployment made simple. Try CodeShip for free. Setup only takes three minutes at CodeShip.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, Amos King. And joining me today are my co-hosts, Craig Buchek. How are you doing, Craig? Hello, everybody. Doing well. And anything going on that you'd like to share real fast? Besides that beautiful mustache and go to your... Uh, yeah, my wife is in Italy for five weeks, and so I won't see her for four of those. And then I get to go visit her. So do you have to shave that before you see her? Yes. Uh, she doesn't like mustache kisses. <laughs> Not mine, at least. <laughs> that sounded weird. Speaking of mustaches, <laughs> that Craig's wife likes Lee. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to play into that. <laughs> I was about to say something about the Italian guys have some really nice mustaches, though. Uh, and, and tonight we also have one very special guest coming to us, Joe Barnes. Joe Barnes is a senior software architect at Mentor Graphics. He spends his days slinging Scala on a small Agile team, creating an amazing Web 6.5 beta product. He's moved way past 2.0, guys. So we're here to learn a little bit about what, what Joe's been doing. So, Joe, how are you doing? Uh, doing awesome, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, you know, just so that uh, everybody knows, after you've laid down some major knowledge bombs on them tonight, where they can get more information about you. Uh, the main place where you can follow me is on Twitter. At Joski, it's J O E S C I I, ASCII with Joe on the front. And uh, that's where I do most of my stuff. I'm on GitHub, it's Barnes JD as well. And uh, I've got some code out there, mostly Scala, that's kind of where I'm at these days. And um, check out some of the stuff I'm doing there if you like. Awesome. All right, so I believe that somebody has a topic for us tonight. I'm going to let one of you guys run with that. Lee. Well, I- <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll jump in here because because uh, I was actually enjoying listening to uh, to Joe talk a little bit about the adoption of Agile because I know that's something that uh, we've dealt with from some of our customers trying to adopt Agile and and uh, wanting us to help. We've been doing it for a while now, but it's always constantly changing anyway. And seeing new members of teams coming on and trying to adopt Agile from a personal level, I think it would be a, a really great. Uh, an interesting topic to just kind of hear all of the experiences that people have had along those lines. So, Joe, do you want to kind of kick us off and kind of talk about what you were mentioning before this show? Yeah, I think that'd be great. As I mentioned, I've, I've actually been at two companies now that have uh, gone through years of development. Uh, both of them actually begin back in the 80s. And then later on, in the recent, say, four years, maybe five, I decided to try adopting Agile to help them with some of the problems they were facing. And um, 
What's been interesting about it is in both cases, I've seen it actually go top down. And uh, so it's been kind of interesting to see how that works and how teams react to that and how people are reacting to it. And um, so it's it, it's just fun to watch how, well, I say fun somewhat sarcastically, to see the momentum of the old ways of doing things that is already there and just the machine that's already running. And then you got folks that are saying, well, this is not working well. How can we make it better? And that machine kind of can run over them, and sometimes they can stand up and, and make changes for the better. That's the big challenge, though, to make those kind of changes. I have to say that most of the time when I've seen Agile get pushed from the top, it usually fails. Or at least it takes a lot longer. To, it doesn't really succeed until, until the base understands it and decides to push it. Is that kind of what you're seeing, too? Yeah, absolutely. And recently I had an opportunity to write a little article for one of our quarterly letters that goes out to the vision. And I really just tried to hopefully people read it and try to encourage them and say, hey, look, this agile thing is good. And the great freedom that we have and, you know, it empowers you as a, as a developer or a tester, whatever your role may be. And that, uh, you know, you should embrace it because it's really an opportunity to make your job better. And I think that, you know, once people can kind of see it from different than just, oh, here's some interesting practices or here's some things we do like Scrum or stand-ups or this or that versus, oh, well, this is a philosophy. This is a way of looking at problems and solving them and uh, working together with people and really kind of embracing Agile instead of just adopting it as a practice. So what do you what do you mean by embrace versus adopt? I think you touched on it a little, but I got to read your article a while back. And I think there's, there's something under the surface there that was in your article that I'd like you to share here. Yeah. I think the main thing is just seeing it as it is written really as the manifesto where you look at it as, Hey, this is, we value people or, you know, and that sort of thing, or, you know, it's not to look at it as this is just a way to do the same old thing. It really is a, a new perspective to take on, um, problem-solving and software development in general, not just, oh, well, we're going to do the same stuff, but we'll meet daily instead of weekly, and we're going to stand up instead of sitting down, and just the uh, the more superficial aspects that tend to come with Agile. So I, I want to talk about the top-down versus bottom-up some more. I think sometimes when it's top-down, you have two problems. One is that uh, the developers down at the bottom don't buy in, so they don't really participate um, like you might have someone that doesn't like to pair, you know, so they don't pair or they fight pairing or they don't pair effectively. They don't try to pair effectively. Uh, I think the other problem is that, uh, the management says, Hey, everyone's doing this agile stuff and it's working. Let's do this agile stuff. Not realizing they have to change the way they do things. Right. So the, they, so what I say is that that's wanting the benefits of agile without doing the work. I, I think there's a lot of, like, hey, everybody's doing this Agile thing, and it's working, so let's go look into it. And they look at it as what Joe is talking about, which is like all the processes and the things that people talk about that work for their team or work for this other team. And they say, okay, here's all these processes. You guys are going to do that. But they really still want like this waterfall schedule. They still want to micromanage a little bit. And what they need to understand is that it it is more about the individuals and the people and kind of getting out of the way as a manager and supporting that, that team and growing great people in order to grow great software. It's not planning. That's the one, my big problems with what is prescribed in scrum is that scrum is more of a, I would call 
management focused agile where it focuses on all these management practices that are still kind of micromanaging the talent that you have available to you. Yeah. I find scrum to be mostly project management, not really development. Um, so it doesn't tell the developers very much what to do other than the meetings. Yeah. It's, we hate. I think it still focuses on a developer sitting and listening and not a developer participating, communicating, having a, right. a you know, back and forth. Um, oh no, man. I mean, maybe it's the way it's written, you know, and so we, we use scrum. That's why I keep throwing it out there, but it, it's, it's not playing out that way. And I, I think it really is the product of having great people in the room. And if I can say that about my teammates and the product owner and the, the scrum master that we have, they're all great guys and really are focused on being better as people, being better as a team. And so scrum just happens to be, I guess the strongest influence on some of the methodologies we're using. But I really feel like we've had a, a lot of good time just trying to look at and just like, how are we getting better and how are we, you know, focusing on the people and developing people and uh, doing the things that I think really embrace the agile manifesto and the, the principles behind it versus just some practices. And, you know, we'll try things, we'll throw them out. You know, we don't have to do anything per se, but we just try to do the things that work. And it just so happens to be most like Scrum. So you, you've touched on like, on changing over time, what are some of the ways that you guys decide to change? Is this just like it happens or somebody comes in in the mornings like I'm doing this today. I think all of us should try this today. Or are you doing retros? Like, how are you getting that change out to the team? How big is your team? Actually, let's start there. Oh, yeah. Our team is awesome because it's tiny. So there's myself. I've got two full time developers also on the team with me. And then uh, we just have one or two interns. And we got a product owner and a scrum master. So we'll be looking at, you know, six, seven, depending on the semester for school and the interns. And so, yeah, it's really small. That I think that helps a lot. And we are doing retros every sprint, which uh, was two weeks or has been two weeks up till now, is um, followed up by retro at the end. And that's where we talk about, hey, what's the things that are working? What's not working? We try stuff. We're not afraid to try things. It's, hey, it's just for a sprint. Give it a shot. If it gets us better, then good, we'll do it. If it didn't work, we'll quit. And uh, so it, it's really helped us a lot. And just even sprint size is changing because we decided, hey, you know what? This isn't really working well for us because we can, uh, as a web team, we can you know deploy continuously. So how can we get better at that and be more, uh, I don't want to use over, you know, cliche sound, but more agile, you know, be able to get ready to, to change tasks or change priorities quicker and, and get the right things out to our customers. And so we've even changed it to one week sprints. We're going to try that for a little bit, see how it works. Awesome. So you're trying to move to continuous deployment. Is that what you're saying? Or you did? We are. Well, so um, I guess you maybe have to define what continuous deployment means um, in this context, but for us, it means, Hey, we've got something that is quote unquote done, get it out to the customer. So whenever we have something done, we can just do that with it. We've got it automated. It's ready to go. It goes out there. And uh, so that's no problem. But it's still just a question of if you set yourself up with a sprint, right, and say it's two weeks as it has been, you've got all these tasks. You said this, these are stories or if you prefer that term that we're going to work on. But then something comes up halfway through. What do you do? And uh, so we're trying to make it just work a little better. So uh, you talked about continuous deployment and shorter sprints. Uh, in some ways, if you're doing continuous deployment, you don't really have sprints anymore. But 
an interesting thing. Well, I had a manager that said, well, we can't do one week sprints or continuous deployment. We're not, we're not Netflix. We're not Microsoft. We can't afford to do that. <laughs> what would you say about that? Uh, I'd say they're people just like we are, you know, there's nothing special that they're drinking. So that's kind of how I feel too, what you just said about sprints, because it, it seems kind of artificial when you can release every day or every hour for that matter. Anytime something is done and ready to go, you just release it. The sprint becomes some of a constraint, but we're not quite brave enough to try Kanban or something yet, although we have talked about it. It's just, we'll see how the one week sprint works. Doesn't work. We might try Kanban. We've, we've threatened to. <laughs> I know that you, you have this small team in a big company. Are other teams around you like seeing how you're working and adopting some of the same things? Or are you seeing how they're working and adopting some of their stuff? Like how, how is that culture being passed around to the wider company? Yeah, so uh, management has actually made a, a very uh, intentional step towards that. We're, we've had uh, recently a meeting with uh, maybe four or five of the teams, and we kind of did like a retro of retros sort of thing. And so all the teams that could bring up things like, hey, here's things we struggled with, here's problems we solved, here's things still not working for us, so we can kind of spread them out across the teams. We've also had some cross-pollination by having uh, another team share a team member with us for a couple sprints to help us get some work done um, with some areas that he was more familiar with. And he brought some ideas to us. He brought some of our ideas back to his team. So we're cross-pollinating a pretty good bit. And because we're so different from the rest of the company in that we're doing web and most of the company's doing desktop applications, which are released, you know, in large increments of six months or a year, we're working on very different things. And we're also working on products that have been around, you know, sometimes tens and twenties of years, like, uh, just code base age, which I know is a very different challenge from us, which we started a couple months ago. And uh, yet at the same time, we're still learning a lot of things from each other by, by doing some of those practices. Pretty awesome. It's not very often that I've seen very, very large companies such as Mentor Graphics that are really good at spreading that around and embracing it without like a huge bottom up shove. So that's that's pretty awesome that you guys are getting that kind of stuff going. So did it slow you down at first when you started adopting Agile on your team? Well, uh, I can't answer that because um, our team was Agile from the start. I've been at Mentor Graphics now since almost a year, last June when I started. And the uh, the product owner, the, the Scrum Master, all the people involved with that were already fully bought into Agile. So I was pretty much, for me, it was uh, a new experience being thrown into the way they were doing Agile because of where the company was that I was before that. So I can't really answer that one. So let me ask you, Joe, if you were asked to go into another team at your company and the their bosses said, you know, your your team has been doing awesome stuff and we really like the way you work and we want you to turn this other team around, how would you start? Where would you, uh, what practices would you put in place? How would you change that culture to match what you think works so well on your team? I would be a challenge. And uh, the main thing, honestly, just what I would try to come in is just, you know, bring in some just charisma and just a good attitude uh, to the team. I, I know a lot of times teams are struggling or are really struggling with morale. So I would certainly assess that and try to, you know, let them know that, hey, we can do better. You know, if you guys are struggling, let's, let's get better. And that sort of thing. That's really where I would start because it is the people. I mean, I don't think I could bring any processes or anything, but just embrace the people and, and have them kind of embrace what they're capable of doing and 
and embrace the jobs that they have and the, and the opportunities they have. So I would really start there, to be honest with you. So I've heard a criticism of Agile that says sort of that, yeah, you hire good people and they're going to be successful no matter what. And sure, that's true, but you'll notice that most of the successful people have already adopted Agile and want to do Agile. So that's interesting. Um, but, um, <laughs> so I think, though, it's important to, A, have people that want to do better, that are interested in, you know, working on the team that they're on. So, you know, if if you have an Agile team, it's you really need people that are interested in working in that way. Um, that's pretty important. Um, but just good people in general is probably even more important. I have to say that for me, the biggest thing that I would try that I try to tackle when going into new situations like that is actually the the fear factor. That I think a lot of developers that, uh, and I think this goes to some of the inertia that that Joe was talking about before, is that a lot of developers are just used to doing it in one way, and they're afraid of what their job would look like, and they're afraid of being out of their element, and so. They don't want to try stuff, but if you can come in with a good attitude and, and kind of show them quickly that you can do better and this, this would be good for you and fun and it's safe, you know, you're not going to destroy your job or your, your or your company by trying this stuff. I, I think that's where I would probably start. I actually had a guy come up to me at a user group meeting in St. Louis and was asking me what I do and we started talking about Agile, and then he's like, "Oh, so you don't do anything?" <laughs> and it kind of cracked me up because we started talking, and no, we do I, less, but we get more done. <laughs> I had shipped like five products in the time that he was still unable to ship his first one, and his was much smaller than all five. Um, so it kind of cracked me up. He kind of had, you know, the perpetual like waterfall project where they had him do a whole bunch of stuff. And then they said, well, that's not quite right, even though you've worked on it for a year. And so then they redid it again and redid it again. Very nice. Well, I heard something. I don't remember what the phrase is, and I'll probably get it wrong. It was something to the effect that something is the art of doing less or doing more with less. Um, Agile seems to be the art of doing more with less. Or it was in the realm of uh, <laughs> making the program faster. You make a program faster by having it do less. Seems pretty obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> Agile is kind of that way with developers. You do less work by not doing stupid work or work that doesn't matter. You can always take at least every program, you can, you can remove at least one line. And every program has at least one bug in it. So every program could ultimately be reduced to one line that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a quick story about that. Um, Back in the days of the Commodore 64, they used to sell them at Sears and stuff, and you'd type in, you know, Craig is great, and go to 10, and, you know, and, and they'd print Craig is great all over the, the computer. They sold those right next to the homes that Sears sold, right? You can buy those <laughs> at the same time. A little bit different time, but okay. So then the next step is to change the background color, and, you know, it flashes kind of like four colors a second or something. And then I learned how to do that in machine language, and so I wrote it in, in like 12 bytes and, and remembered those 12 bytes and poked them in and, and ran it. So I'm telling the story like 15 years later. And I'm like, 12 bytes seems like a lot of bytes to do that. And it kept me up that later that night. I had to optimize my 12 byte program down to six bytes, <laughs> like, like 15 years later. So I have optimized the 12 byte program. <laughs> <laughs> now I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Like the big thing that I see with Agile is that it kind of spreads the responsibility. 
out amongst everybody. It, it becomes everybody's problem now, not just one guy. So as a manager, when I was managing, is it? I felt like it relieved a lot of pressure off of me because it, it's all of us now. Yeah, maybe ultimately to somebody higher than me, I was responsible, but you know, I didn't necessarily feel that way day to day. That was a pretty liberating feeling, which allowed me to go back to coding instead of trying to tell people what to do, which is where I really wanted to be anyway, was coding. But with spreading that responsibility, I think you also get a lot more ideas on the table and ultimately end up with a better product that has you know, less unneeded features, distractions within the software, just because you have all these people able to talk it out and work together instead of just a few people from up above saying, this is what you do, and you shut up and you deal with it. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny you said you you want to get back to coding, and uh, you know my, my my previous company that I was at for this that uh, I was there, you know, a good seven and a half years, and we were not agile for a long time, and then a couple of years down the line, uh, the VP of engineering said, "Hey, we need to do something better," and I hear agile is pretty good. I sure he did it with great intentions, but it was we definitely saw some interesting things happen out of that, and one of the things I've noticed, and it's kind of sad, is that. A lot of folks go away from coding. Like they want to get into management in these software roles that don't have code. And I'm like, why is that? I mean, what, what's killing, what's killing the joy? What's killing the, the thing that got you into it? Cause it surely you didn't go through school or however you got there and just writing code. Like, man, this is terrible. I can't wait till I get out of this. And, uh, but somehow that's where they ended up. And, um, like what killed the passion? And so. I don't feel like that's going to happen when you're in Agile as much. It just seems like it embraces the passion and lets it just roll with it. If you well, just got to give it out there to smart people and step back and let them make magic happen. <laughs> I think part of it, though, is that there's usually not a track to stay in the development field and, and make as much money as the management field. I think some of it's the money there. But, yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine the, the joy <laughs> going away enough to want to be in management. <laughs> to me, anything that uh, has me writing lots of documentation and uh, gathering metrics is not a lot of fun. That's true. Then, then again, I've got at least another twenty years of in this field. You guys probably have, you know, thirty more years, and I can't really predict what's going to happen in those twenty, thirty years. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll change. Maybe the industry <laughs> will change. Maybe I will want different things. We'll be writing in the Amos language. <laughs> that language does exist already. DHH said it was the first one that he used, right? <laughs> That's right. I kind of want to want to take a step back for a minute and just talk to you, Joe. You were talking about um, moving towards continuous deployment, and if you actually get to a point where you guys are continuously deploying with like every commit, every time you merge something in, it runs the tests and deploys, you could reach out to our sponsor for tonight's show, Codeship.io. They actually like support Scala, which you're doing. They support a ton of languages and a ton of deployment platforms. And even if they don't directly support your deployment platform, they have like the ability to upload scripts that will do the deployment for you. So it's pretty cool. I've used them. I know that um, John, one of our other hosts, has used them. And they were a guest on the podcast. They're, they're a very cool group of people. So if anybody out there would like to try them out, codeship.io slash this agile life will we'll get you to them and let them know that we sent you and that would be awesome so you should do that joe go ahead and sign up yeah. right now <laughs> don't, don't worry the keyboard <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll wait. The keyboard in the background that's what i'm doing <laughs>
What's the biggest challenge you think you've found so far from Agile? I think the biggest one is we've been hitting all around it today so far, and that's just having the bottom up work as well. Because you understand that, you know, when, like I said, the VP of engineering comes in and says, hey, we're missing deadlines. We're not making the commits to customers that we want to do. We've got to do something better. I've heard this Agile thing works. But then the, the big challenge is in the, the, the people to embrace that and just work within that framework and be comfortable with it. I think Lee made some very good points about the fear. Um, I think that that is a, a big challenge of fear of change and, and doing things differently, whether it be the developers themselves or maybe the management there in between. That's where I've witnessed a lot of the fear, it seems, that it was sort of like, okay, well, you're telling me to, to do these sort of meetings and stuff. I'll do them. To say I did them, but it was kind of only on paper. It wasn't, you know, in spirit of Agile that these things were happening. And uh, so I, that's definitely the biggest challenge because Agile focuses on people. So it's certainly people is the biggest challenge. I think that uh, actually this reminds me of a show we did. I don't know how long, how many shows ago it was. And it came from Amos or possibly it may have been our first guest. I remember, I don't remember what his name was, but he talked about developer defense. Oh, to me, Mike Bishop from the Able Few. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, Mike talked about developer defense, and I actually took that to heart and have been using it ever since then whenever I take on that tech lead role in a in a team. And I'm at the point now where I'm not even sure that tech leads are a good role for an agile team, but that's off topic. The point is, though, that I think that that fear factor is all the experienced technical people on a team need to be kind of helping all of the the people that are caught up in the old ways of doing things and still have some of that fear. They're the ones that have to be getting them out of that fear. You can't do that from the top. You can't have a manager say, you you shall, and that stop the fear. That is the opposite of stopping the fear. You have to have the people close to you that you're working with on a day-to-day basis do that. And I don't know how you can do it otherwise. If you are a manager of a team, one really big thing that you can do to make the team feel empowered and to you, you'll see a complete change in them very quickly and how hard they will work is when they come to you and they like suggest an idea to you and don't even ask them for more clarification. Don't like question the hell out of them about their idea. Just say, sure, let's try it. And just watch yeah. how like, it's amazing the first time like I've seen managers do that to a team after I talked to the manager for a little bit and the team like they smile, they're amazed the next week they get twice as much done as they have, even if they don't go implement that idea that they were talking about. Just the fact that you said yes to them and didn't question them and act like you might know better than them or want to change their idea just like blows them out of the water. And then they come back with 50 ideas and then you can start whittling them down and like picking ones. Yeah, let's try this one. Let's try that one. And that will cause a team to start embracing change and, and coming with ideas very quickly. Yeah. It's pretty amazing what people can do when you just let them be people. Yep. Like ants, right? They do amazing (laughs) things when you have a whole bunch of them, but they're kind of idiots by themselves. (laughs) (laughs) And and nobody's really in charge of them either. That's right. Yeah. That's the amazing thing. But yeah, I completely understand what you're saying because I've had experience in the past where, I would bring these ideas and I would go through all this laborious, you know, effort of trying to convince management, like, hey, this is a great idea. Here's how it works. And 
Although I never had the chart with fake data like Amos does. That's where I was probably going wrong. <laughs> no, you but, just uh, put numbers on it. It's not fake data if you don't have numbers. It's always right. Huh. Or units. You can just leave the units off. <laughs> no, it's fake, bro. Um, <laughs> and uh, But yeah, you know, you go through all that. And um, I'll actually tell a specific story. I was trying to sell management on test-driven development. So I had a quick like five minute video on how to do it and i was like okay that's a pretty cool approach on how to teach someone else how to do it and i thought i could demonstrate value and how it works and i worked it all out it was in you know back in my java days and so i had a little test project and everything and so i was going through and at some point in the code i think it was to find prime numbers or something like that but i was purposely setting myself up to make a mistake that my test was going to catch I think I was going to forget the number two is prime or something like that. Then it was going to catch it, and I was going to say, aha, here you go. See, my test kind of the safety net keep me moving forward without uh, breaking my old code. And around about the time I got to that point, I mean, that was where the value was really going to be, the pinnacle. Manager gets up with a phone call, the, the main manager. And there was a couple other managers, but big guy that everyone else is kind of answering to steps out of the room and comes back. After I make my big point, I'm like, man, how to recover this? How do I get him to see it? He didn't have the thrust that it should have had. And then at the end of it, he's talking to me and basically dismisses the whole idea. And I'm like, he didn't even hear the idea. It was so frustrating. And I know that was somewhat circumstantial because of the phone call, but it just was very much uh, exactly not how to do it, to your point, Amos, on, you know, just power people. Just let them do stuff. Let them try stuff. It would work. And I think in some cases, the interesting point is, if you had not tried to convince management and just convinced the people on your team to try it, would that have been a better argument to management ultimately uh, when they produce code and, assert, and the morale goes up and everything is happening happening better from the management's perspective? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's something I've kind of learned since then. Um, I was still in the mentality of top down. So if you want something to happen, you go convince the top and let them push it back down. Um, <laughs> yeah, I see correct check and said, it doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. So that was well, I was taking the wrong approach, certainly. But you know, it was just it was it was frustrating. And I'm very appreciative of where I'm at now at uh, Mentor Graphics, and they they really embrace Agile. They really embrace their people, and um, that's very much epitomized in our team. And you know, they almost don't say no to anything. You know, that one thing that was that's pretty cool and uh, a little bit of a tangent is we even decided that our cubes weren't good. We're arranging four cubes. All um, you know clustered into a square and we said you know what we're having to walk around too much and it's not really helping collaboration let's pull up the walls in the middle and that's what we did and mentor graphics you know had the facilities guys pull them up and that's what we how we arrange now we can just turn around and and throw nerf balls at each other to get attention <laughs> or whatever it is you need to do so yeah it's it's uh that's been a really good experience yeah back to the top down versus bottom up i think you have to have both if you don't have both if you you can you can start a change from the bottom up, but it's gonna reach a certain level and it's it's gonna get stomped back down from the top down. You can say we're gonna do it this way, but if your people don't start doing it that way, then you're gonna reach a blocker too. So I I think it almost has to go both directions. I agree with you, Craig. Ultimately, I think though that it's easiest if you convince the bottom first. And there's actually an education principle that I've heard that you should teach kids to be subversive, and that it is <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, it is the subversive ones that are the really intelligent ones and really know how to 
how to uh, to be leaders and and to, to achieve their goals and that sort of thing. And to me, it's the same kind of thing from the bottom up. It's okay to be a little subversive as long as you're not so subversive that you're detrimental to the company. <laughs> right. That's right. And to some extent, if, you, if what you're doing is really better from the bottom up, they'll go, wait a minute, they're releasing software and it works. Okay. I got to listen out. And it's kind of a, a problem of numbers. If you have, say, a team of 10 at the quote unquote bottom convinced to do a thing a certain way, you got one or two managers up above it, you've got less people to convince going that direction. So that's another good thing. <laughs> yep. And you got more people talking and trying to convince them, not just one guy. Exactly. Speaking of subversive children, mine have called me four times in the past 30 seconds of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of subversive, uh, one of my favorite phrases is ask for forgiveness, not not permission. Yes. Um, (laughs) If if you're doing something and you think it's going to help, try it without asking, you know. To a point. To a point. Pick your battles. Yeah, pick pick your battles and do it to a point. Okay. But but yeah, and if you start doing things and making your own decisions, you're sort of empowering yourself. If it happens to work out quite a bit, then they'll start actually, you know, letting you take more authority. That's another phrase that I, I actually used this on an interview. I said it was something about um, authority, and I said authority is is taken, not given. And I was like, well, that was probably a bad thing to say to in, in, in an interview <laughs> to my potential boss. Um, but I think he took it well. You know, it's uh, you you take authority to do things. You you make decisions and you know, you face the consequences. So hopefully you're making good ones. That I think is fantastic phrase. Like I was trying to think of a response, but I love that. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of flabbergasted by it. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen much with famous. No, I normally no, have a ton of shit to say. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I really like what you said. The, 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 you know, ask for forgiveness and not permission. We have a tendency to do that. In fact, to some extent, our use of Scala as our main uh, back-end language was that, extent, was that uh, the vision was kind of like, hey, we should use Java and JBoss and all these things. And we're like, but we're not writing the same kind of applications as you are. All right, let's do a proof of concept and show them that it works. And it worked. So and that's what we're doing. And um, so sometimes, you, you know, it's the whole bottom-up rebellion thing kind of works occasionally. I had an architect one time come in and tell me exactly how I had to um, do all of my software and I had some of it already written and I was like, well, that's not how I'm doing it. And he got really mad and we went in front of a customer and I sat down and he's like, we can't use any of this for real. We can demo it, but it's, it's, uh, it doesn't fit the architecture that I've laid out. So it can't really be a part of the thing. And I told him before we went in there, I said, um, you're going to go in there and talk about your architecture and I'm going to deliver working software. Let's, let's see what happens. And we came out with my working software and his architecture document was put away. <laughs> if I remember correctly, Amos, that was actually in a, in a, to a general, wasn't it? Yes, but shh, I was trying to, to leave out a little bit of, of who and what was involved in that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure what good in architecture. He might've happened to have been, a, been there. <laughs> no, I wasn't the architect. Is if it's uh and it wasn't Tice either. It wasn't Tice. Oh, I was going to ask you if it was Tice. No, but Tice was there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. So, so I have one other thing to say about the subversion piece. To me, subversion is really just a social spike. It's a spike in culture. Yeah, because there's no way you're going to merge anything in subversion. 
<laughs> oh, oh, different, man. different subversion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <a little> <laughs> hey, Joe, yeah, Joe, we, remember, we remember that good. forgiveness permission thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's kind of stuck on subversion. Man, uh, get so much better. Get so much better. I, I uh, actually had that problem at my last job too. Um, actually, we were on CVS, ooh. and uh, <laughs> yeah. So the the uh, the discussion was, and it was a big company, and we were just a small part, but. I was like, well, we could move to Subversion. You guys that know CVS could understand that. They weren't really developers. They were more like integration guys. I was like, and Unix guys, like sysadmin types. And I'm like, we could do Git, but we're not really going to fork anything anyway. So I'm not sure what the point is. And you'd have a lot higher learning curve that I'm not, you know, you guys aren't developers. So I'm not sure the point of that. But, you know, inertia and big company politics kept us from changing anything. Awesome. I, I do have one last thing, and this isn't necessarily for, for you three. My company, Binary Noggin, uh, our biggest contract is up on the 3rd of July. So I am out looking for new clients. If uh, anybody would like to have uh, work with me, you can reach me at amos, A-M-O-S dot L dot King at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at adcron. Send me your contact information. I'll get a hold of you. What kind of things do you do? I do agile coaching, product development, and uh, Rails rescue and team building, team augmentation. Man, I tell you, you would really love to live down here in Rocket City. Uh, I can't move, though, unfortunately. Oh, uh, yeah, you can. No, I got see this place. I got four. Oh, no. I got four years. When my daughter graduates high school, I'm moving. Yeah, but don't you know? I know the education I, system in Alabama is far superior to whatever <laughs> junk here backwoods Missouri I, people are doing. I know. I, oh no! I, I want to cut down there and have. I I believe that every surgeon I ever meet with, I want to talk with your accent. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the smart people talk, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, people near Amos talk pretty much like that, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and my family, a lot of my my mother's side of the family is from Alabama. So, Oh, really? I know where you're coming from. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. <laughs> my mom still lives in Mississippi. I can still talk with the accent if I try. But <laughs> I, I try not to. Oh, come on. That's... Embrace it, Lee. Just embrace it like <laughs> I have. <laughs> I spent many years trying to get rid of an accent, and I, I'm not sure I ever really succeeded. Trying to get rid of it? I'm, okay, I'm going to have their story. I was just going to move on to our picks, but now i got to tell the story <laughs> since you talked about getting rid of an accent. I was in the military, and I was in Augusta, Georgia, and we were going through school for the military. And one time we had a long weekend, and there was a girl there from Tennessee who invited a bunch of us to go up to her house. Her parents invited us up, and they were going to have a big cookout and everything. And she didn't talk with much of an accent. And we get up. She's in Shelbyville, Tennessee, which the people from there call it Shevel. And when we met her parents, her parents had a thick accent. And I was like, well, you guys have a really big accent. Why don't you have an accent? And in front of her parents, she said, because the smart ones don't have that accent. I thought her mother was going to kill her. <laughs> well. I will have to say, as someone that tried to get rid of the accent, it wasn't because I actually think people with the accent are dumb or anything like that. That's the opposite. <laughs> However, 
I went on a with a big group to to Washington D.C. a bunch of group of kids, right? And so when some other kid from I don't know some Yankee town, um, <laughs> it says, "I want you to say the alphabet for me," and wanted to hear me say "elf," e l g, and I got that a couple of times. That was the okay. We got to get past this, man. <laughs> Well, see, I, I used to think that I need to get rid of my accent, you know, when I was growing up down in Coleman, Alabama, on a chicken farm. And uh, when I moved up all the way up north to Huntsville, Alabama, where all the Yankees were, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I found out I wasn't like them, and I was pretty cool like I am, so I was just going to embrace who I was. It's all good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I think, I think that's an important part of Agile, too, is embrace who you are, learn from your past. And, and don't run from it. Yeah, but I do run from chickens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it sounds like that's all we have time for tonight. So let's move on to our picks. This week's hottest picks. Let's go ahead and, and we'll start with Craig and his wonderful peach fuzz mustache. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so my pick today is, uh, Rails, the missing parts. It's a series of articles. I think there's only two so far. Um, I'm a Rails developer. I keep up pretty much everything that's going on in the Rails community. Um, uh, we talked to DHH a few weeks ago. So this is talking about, uh, some of the things that Rails is missing, uh, different ideas that uh, you can add to Rails to sort of fill in the pieces that some people have been found to be missing. So it's a good article, at least to make you think about things. All right. It's a good pick. I'll have to read that later since I do a lot of Rails development, too. Uh, Lee, let's move on to you. And okay. Just wait, you got to do this in your accent as a kid, though. Can you <laughs> I, say I the can't. alphabet? I, <laughs> this one is called Gliffy. No, I, I honestly I, I can't keep that up for too long. Uh, <laughs> it actually starts to sound fake now coming from me. And, and it's horrible. You've been living with the um, Yankees too long. I, I have been. Yeah. Damn Yankees. Um, <laughs> anyway, so my uh, my pick is actually Gliffy, which is an online diagram making software uh, package, which is is pretty cool. I introduced one of my clients to uh, to this software since we were all as a group trying to come up with flow diagrams and trying to decide how. Uh, how the software was going to be structured. And I, and they wanted, well, how do we, how do we document this thing? How do we show this? And so I pulled out Gliffy and they went wild with it. This manager type was throwing out flow diagrams in like half an hour and it was pretty cool. So this is a great little software package, uh, online software package. It's definitely easier than Visio. There is a limited free version of it and the, the pro version you can get. Uh, for like four dollars a month, and it's it's pretty cool. For Tice, I have one question: Does it do UML diagrams? It does. Fantastic, Tice. Tice, it's right there for you. It also does wireframes, which is is pretty cool too. So you can throw up some wireframes along with it. It's Gliffy dot com, I believe. It's pretty awesome. I'll have to take a look. Okay, so we're gonna s- save Joe's picks for last, the best for last, and I'm pretty sure that all of you Alabama fans are really gonna enjoy what Joe has to pick. So I'm going to jump in here next. As I already mentioned tonight, uh, I own my own consulting company, freelancing development company. And 
just this little funny YouTube video called the vendor client relationship that uh, anybody out there who's ever done any consulting or even sales or anything like that will really enjoy uh, watching that video. You should take a look. It'll, it'll make you laugh and smile. And last but not least, the number one listener of this Agile Life. I think he's listened to every single episode. I'm surprised his picks are not episodes of this Agile Life. Uh, <laughs> Joe Barnes. Hi, uh, thanks. Um, yeah, my pick is going to actually be result of recruiting. I got recruited by Netflix a little while back, and one of the first things they tell you to do is, hey, go to our company culture page and read these slides. And I'm thinking, oh, great, slides. That's fun. Well, uh, there's like 143 or so. Let's see. No, 126. And um, they're actually very exciting. And uh, the very first one, Netflix culture, freedom and responsibility. And this company from top to bottom is very much what we would probably call agile. And just in a way, they have embraced people. They've been giving them freedom and responsibility to do their job well. And it's very exciting. And so then I tried to reverse the recruiting and have them come to Alabama and set up shop in Huntsville. It turned out that they declined. Um, nonetheless, uh, check out the link I've got on there. And when you go to the link, you'll see the uh, Netflix culture, freedom, responsibility little slide there. It is a very good read. It's, it's pretty interesting to see a company that's really bought into it from top to bottom. And, of course, uh, i got two picks, as Amos has hinted at. The second one is if you go to Twitter, look up Auburn Jokes. Because it turns out there's this other school that no one cares about that plays football also in our state. And um, they go by the name Auburn. And um, this guy, he can get wrong with you at times, I'll admit. And some of them are very funny. But he hits some really good ones. And uh, it's really funny. But most importantly, roll tide. <laughs> roll tide. All right, so that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you for listening. I have a little cross-promotion here for John. If you're a mobile developer or an aspiring mobile developer, please check out the IOS podcast on iTunes or at ioespodcast.com. As always, check out This Agile Life at thisagilelife.com for these show notes and all of our past episodes. And thanks for listening and keep living This Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.